0: Of a Cali Green Monster show. I'm your host, Dean Ryan. It's Super Bowl Sunday, February 7th, 2021. Yes, you heard that. It's the Super Bowl today. We're about a little less than five hours away from the Super Bowl. I'm super excited about that. I'm going to give you my picks in just a couple seconds, um, but just want to give a, a warning to anyone at the end of this podcast. I want to do a quick little recap of episode 5 of WandaVision and kind of I feel like my big prediction or big cool idea from the last episode that I talked about WandaVision is still in play so I'm pretty excited about it but this is your warning just wanted to give you a heads up so and then I also want to be able to cover there was a UFC Fight Night last night um Saturday night February 6th over in Volkov so there was a couple fights on that that I'd that interested me and I watched and I covered. So, you know, with so much UFC going on, there's too much to cover. So I usually will probably pick one or two or three fights that interest me. So I'm going to cover those in a couple in a little bit. But first, how can I address Super Bowl Sunday when on on Super Bowl Sunday, record a show on Super Bowl Sunday and not talk about the Super Bowl at first? We've been talking about it all week. We've covered the left tackle for the Chiefs being injured and how that might affect the Chiefs offense against the really relentless pass rush and a tough defense in Tampa Bay. We've discussed how even though that's that might be an issue, Patrick Mahomes seems to be superhuman and he's been doing things and proving wrong people wrong his whole career, been nearly unbeatable, but he's also going up against the GOAT Tom Brady, his 10th Super Bowl. It's almost impossible to pick against Tom Brady. Saw a stat today. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those Tom Brady stats that people keep pulling out over these past couple weeks that just make you go, wow, this guy is superhuman. And it was like Tom Brady has almost 400, he has like 390-something pass attempts in just the Super Bowl. That's insane. That's something that, I mean, that might be advantage for Tampa Bay. I mean... Tom Brady in the Super Bowl you can never count him out and he has tons of weapons and he has that belief I think that you know that leadership quality that just makes everyone around him better after the NFC championship game there was a there was a report out that one of the players was crying holding the NFC trophy and Tom Brady was just like what the fuck are you doing? We're not done yet And that's the mentality that I feel like the Tampa Bay Chiefs or the t- Tampa Bay Chiefs whoo no the Tampa Bay Bucks are going to be carrying with them and if you didn't listen to my show with, that I recorded with my buddy Steven the other day at the end of the episode we gave our picks but for those of you that didn't hear I'm going with Tampa Bay Bucks. I feel like it's going they're going to be able to do it. I feel like their defense is going to be able to do enough. I know that it's very well could be the Chiefs completely dominating and me sitting there being like, "Well, of course, why did you pick against the Chiefs?" But I just feel like with Tom Brady, I feel like this defense, they're playing in their home stadium. I feel like Tampa Bay has a really good chance. And I'm going to put it on the line. I'm doubling down. Second show in a row that I'm going to pick them. So Tampa Bay is going to win the Super Bowl. If you've heard this before the Super Bowl, hopefully uh, I sound like a Nostradamus. And if you're listening to this after the Super Bowl and the Chiefs just kicked the shit out of the Buccaneers, well, I've got egg on my face and I will probably address it on the next episode. As I mentioned in the introduction of this podcast, there was a UFC last night, UFC Fight Night. It was on ESPN Plus. So if you happen to have ESPN Plus, or you're just someone who illegally streams fights, you had access to it last night. There was, you know, it was a full card. But as I mentioned, there's there's just so much UFC that goes on. There's almost a UFC every single weekend and full of prospects. And I think maybe 10 years ago when I was in college, I would have been all about it, watching all these fights. I mean, because back in college, I used to watch all the WEC fights, all the strike force fights, all the, the UFC cards that were on Versus. I'd watch the prelims. I'd watch the fights that they put on Facebook. But, you know, time's different now. You know, having a full-time job, having a kid, being married... Man, just trying to do adult things you just don't have all the time in the world for UFC. But with that, I did watch, there was three fights that interested me. You know, the co-main event with uh, Frankie Edgar and Sanhagen. The main event with Alistair Overeem and Alexander Volkoff. But then also, um, one, of the first cards, one of the first fights on the main card with Benil Dariush and Diego Fajeda. I think that's how you pronounce it. But I was interested in this fight because maybe some of you know, because you also had done jiu-jitsu with them. But it's been about 10 years now. My only experience with jiu-jitsu or training jiu-jitsu was about 10 years ago. I trained for a couple months at Ralph Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in Tustin. It was like either Tustin or Belinda right there off the 91 freeway. And Benny Benil Dariush, or Benny, he was training there. And he was about a brown belt at the time. But I remember my buddies that had started training there about like four or five months before me, they were talking about, Oh, there's this guy, Benny and people think he's a prodigy and he's going to be the be- the next like UFC stud or like BJ Penn. And, um, you know, you watch him. He was always, he was obviously the best guy in the studio. And he, but he was like, he really, when you hear about jujitsu and it's all about technique and the smaller guy being able to beat the bigger guy, he really exemplified that because you'd watch him do jiu-jitsu and it was almost like watching a sloth move where he was just so calm and the next thing you know, he was having the guy tap. So, you know, Benny really lived up to that Prodigy logo that I heard about when I went in to train. Um, you know, having rolled with them I remember rolling with him one time and it was just, it was funny. It was just basically like a, like an adult playing with a child because I'm trying to do all sorts of stuff and I remember him being like, "Oh, good, good job, nice try." oh, yeah, yeah. And then in two seconds it was like he had my back and like you know I just tapped. It was like okay, so you know it's every time Benny fights when he got in the UFC. I remember my buddies and I we always be, "Oh, dude, Benny's fighting tonight." So we you know even you know ten years later I still am always interested when Benny fights. So. You know, he was fighting this guy, Diego Fajeda. They had fought in 2014, and Benny had beat him. So, you know, this is a rematch. Benny was talking about before the fight that he doesn't want to make this re- his record one-on-one against this guy. And he wanted to really, like, exemplify that he's the better fighter. And I felt like he did that today. I felt like he was getting the best of Diego on the stand-up exchanges He was doing an excellent job of mixing his striking and then with takedowns both single and double legs you know I felt like the first and second round were totally Benny's rounds there was no way I think he could have um, scored it for Diego I felt like Diego was too he was too willing to try to brawl with Benny but the thing is um, Daniel Cormier mentioned it was that there's a takedown behind the brawl so Diego definitely adjusted in the third round. And I think that's why some of the the judges gave him that third round because Benny was having a hard time landing any takedowns and, you know, he was moving very well, but I felt like Benny did like Benny was able to get the takedown and get, get his back at one point. And even though at the end of the round, Diego kind of finished on top, like I still didn't feel like it was enough to beat Benny. I had Benny winning the fight 30 to 27, but Maybe that's just the biasness of being a Benny O'Darrius fan, but either way, the judges scored a split decision, 29-28, so obviously giving him rounds one and two. So, you know, Benny, that was a big win for him. It's probably going to put him in the top 10 in lightweight, so I expect to see him matched up with another top 10 lightweight fighter in his next fight. The next fight I watched was the co event. It was a bantamweight match between Frankie Edgar and Corey Sanhagen. It was definitely a matchup between the old vet and the young up-and-comer. At Frankie Edgar's 39 years old, Corey Sanhagen's 28. He's hyped to be one of the next contenders. He's seven to one in the UFC, or well, he's seven to one. And after today, he was six and one going into the fight, with his only loss being the, the number one contender, Aljamain Sterling. So he had a lot of hype in him, but, you know, Frankie Edgar's someone that, you know, he's fighting at 135, I think for the second, second or third time in his career. And, you know, this is a guy that, you know, was a 155 champion at one point. He's fought bigger dudes. I mean, he beat Gray Maynard at one point, even though that was at 155, Gray Maynard was definitely, I mean, he looked more like a 170 pounder. So, you know, there was a lot of hype that Frankie Edgar was finally fighting against people his size. So it was pretty interesting to see how this was gonna go but I feel like in my experience watching lots of MMA most of the time it's gonna be the young lion that's gonna come out on top especially when the old lions kind of you know kind of hitting a skid especially when you're having some TKO and knockout losses starting to accumulate especially this late into your career. you know it's funny this when the fight started, I was about to write down oh, Frankie Edgar, he's moving pretty well. He looks good. Like, almost about to comment that, like, yeah, maybe he's going to be looking good at 135. But, man, Sanhagen, he was just circling, and he set up a perfect flying knee right on the chin. It didn't even require a follow-up. It was 27 seconds into the round. It was so impressive. It was, you know, it's one of those things where, as Frankie Edgar is one of my favorite fighters of all time, and watching him go down like that, it was almost sickening. It was like, oh, man it sucks when you watch your favorite fighter, just one of your favorite guys, just, you know, have to kind of start going out like that, you know, like, Frank Edgar, when I think about him, he's a guy that he knows how to take a beating, and just keep going, so I think about his first, you know, lightweight title defense against Gray Maynard, and he was just getting the living shit kicked out of him in the first round, and I remember even, like, shouting to the TV, just being like, dude, stop the fight, like, you, there's no way this little guy is going to be able to handle this beating. And it's like, not only did he survive it, he came back for through rounds two through five and just kept the pace up and kept bringing it to Gray Maynard and it ended up being a draw. And then with their third fight, their trilogy fight, the fight started off very similar. Gray Maynard just started beating the shit out of him in the first round. And then, dude, like great, Frankie Edgar just like, came back from the dead and then I remember when he knocked him out in the fourth round I just remember like being in the pool house at my parents house and just like like screaming at my friends like oh my god he fucking did it he fucking did it like and it was so dope and like it's just like Frankie Edgar that was like one of my favorite UFC memories and he's just had epic fights throughout his entire career where he just knows how to just take a take a punch and keep going You know, but over his last six fights, he's two and four. And in those four losses, he's got three TKO or KO losses. And that's just not normal for a guy that I feel like just knows how to just like literally like take a fucking beating and keep going. You know, he's 39 years old. He's a bona fide UFC Hall of Famer. He's fought across three divisions. He's definitely one of the best people. He has nothing left to prove. And, you know, I was one of Frankie Edgar's biggest fans. I really, I don't want to see him, you know, taking a beating. Or, not, not even a beating. That was only 27 seconds. Like, and I, it, I, don't, I don't think at any point in his career he's going to be able you, anyone can take a flying knee like that, flush on the jaw. But, you know, I just don't want to see that anymore. Hopefully Frankie Edgar can take, like, feel just acceptance that he's had just such a great career that most people who step into the cage can only dream about having a career that Frankie Edwards had. So, you know, it's like seeing that flying knee, how that ended so quick. It's It almost was reminiscent of... Another fighter, like out of the New York, like Long Island, New Jersey area, it was with a wrestler from that area, Chris Weidman. I remember a couple of years ago when he was fighting in Madison Square Garden. He was fighting against Riol Romero, and that fight seemed to be going good. And then, fucking sure as shit, he went went down. Rio Romero flew up with a rocket knee and just knocked his ass out with blood everywhere, and. You know, so man, dude, those, those fighters out of that New York, New Jersey area really got to watch those flying knees. And, you know, you know, Chris Weidman's another guy that, you know, I, I don't know what's going to be, what his, the rest of his career is going to look forward, but he's another one of my favorite guys of all time. But, you know, that's, I could talk about that for another day. Meanwhile, Corey Sanhagen, that was so impressive. You know, he's seven and one, his only loss being against, um, Jameen Sterling, so, and Al Shaheen Stern's going to be fighting Peter Yan for the title coming up in March. So, I'm thinking San Hagen's going to get the winner of that fight. So, yeah, bantamweight, it's a competitive division. Peter Yan is a really great champion, and I think, you know, he's going to have his hands full of Sterling, and if he can get by him, Sanhagen's going to be an, you know, a really awesome contender. And uh, if Sterling gets the belt, that's going to be an awesome rematch. So, in the main event, we had Alistair Overeem versus Alexander Volkov. You know, Overeem is one of those, you know, if you've been following UFC or MMA at all, he's someone who's just been around. It's crazy. He feels like he's been around forever because he was a young guy. He used to fight back in the pride days. And then he would turn into a big steroid dude. Like, well, I mean, alleged. I'm going to say allegedly steroid dude. But, I mean, he went from a skinny 205-pound guy to... Someone who had to cut weight just to get to 265 and was chiseled like a god. So, you know, maybe it's just eating a lot of horse meat, what have you, maybe good genetics. But, you know, it's definitely when he went to the UFC and failed a drug test, he definitely looks a little bit more deflated than he did. But, you know, I'm not here to talk about Alistair Overeem's alleged steroid use or anything like that. But all I'm here to say is that he's just been around forever and, you know, he's 40 years old. He's a veteran of 60, over 65 UFC fights. And that's not including his professional kickboxing. So, you know, so he's a veteran of the sport. But uh, he was coming up against a guy, Alexander Volkov. Volkov is a stud. He was big outside of the UFC. He's a big acquisition. He's been very successful in the UFC. And, um, you know, he, he, he basically, I feel like, had his way with Alistair Overeem this fight. You know, Volkov used his size and range control the center of the octagon, you know, Overeem would try to kind of come with, you know, with, you know, as a southpaw, come with that big left, but it just seemed like Volkov was always in control, he stood in the pocket, and he really had no problem, and by the end of the first round, Overeem was already kind of bloody, and it just seemed like the writing was on the wall, you know, there's some fights where you can just see that some guy has, you know, one of the fighters has more pop, just has more confidence, and, you know, where the other guy just doesn't really have a chance, and especially and then round two, Volkov started getting some one-two combinations, and sure enough, he finished the fight with a one-two, Overeem went down, and, you know, it was it, so, you know, I feel like Overeem, at this point in his career, he's, he's very expensive, you know, he makes a lot of money per fight, you know, because he was a big signing, and it's crazy, of all the people that the UFC does cut, that Overeem is someone that's continued to stay on the roster because I think he makes mid to high six figures every time he fights. And he's definitely not someone I would consider a viable contender in in the UFC heavyweight division. I understand in the heavyweight division, it really just takes two or three fights to get you into contention. But I think like with people like Overeem and Junior Dos Santos, it's just false hope because I just feel like what they've They've had long careers. They've had epic, long fight. You know, a lot of fights. Overeem's had a lot of fights on his record, and then Junior Dos Santos, even though his record might not look like he's had like the most fights in his career compared to Alistair Overeem, he's gotten like career-changing beatdowns twice by Kane Velasquez, and he's you know he's been knocked out multiple times, and you know he's someone else that I feel like you know I hope he's. I think, I, I wish Overeem and Junior Dos Santos, because they're, they're good enough that the UFC, I feel like, is going to keep bringing them back because they're competitive guys, and I think, at this point, good gatekeepers for the division. But I think it's fool's gold for, for them to think that they have, you know, UFC heavyweight aspirations still, especially with some of these guys in the division. You know, I wouldn't want to see either of them fighting Francis Gano again. They had bad experiences the first time. It wouldn't go better the second time. And meanwhile, Alexander Volkov—he's nine and two in the UFC. His only losses coming to Curtis Blades and um, Derek Lewis, who are actually fighting each other upcoming later this month in a, in a week or two. Yeah. So with Volkov, I know he's asking for a title shot. I don't know if he's gonna be able to get it because you know, for well, his last his last loss came to Curtis Blades, and Curtis Blades is fighting Derek Lewis right now. So it's like. The two guys that he would need to be able to avenge a loss are actually fighting each other next. So maybe Volkov would want to be able to fight one of those guys. But if Curtis Blades wins, I don't see him accepting a fight with Alexander Volkov. And I think he ha- he has a better claim to the fighting for the UFC title. So, you know, it, let's say if the title is not an option for Alexander Volkov, I think that Jarzinho Rosenstreich, the guy from Suriname, that guy would be a really good a really good like test for Volkoff in his stand up that Strike is 11-1, he packs a lot of power, and that would be a fight that I would I would be really excited to watch, and I think that'd be a perfect fight to headline a UFC fight night, and I think it'd be definitely a perfect exclamation to Volkov's resume to getting himself a title shot, so you know, all in all, it was the three fights that I watched were, you know, pretty exciting, I, I enjoyed it, it was made for a good watching on Sunday morning, and it was a nice precursor to watching some football later. And now is the time for anyone who hasn't watched episode five of WandaVision, spoiler alert, I'm trying to get better at being able to not spoil shit for people, so if you haven't watched episode five, leave now. Alright, so episode five picked up, and Wanda's like little WandaVision TV show that she's in, it's now like as an 80s sitcom, like a late 80s, early 90s sitcom, and it's It was, I was telling my wife, it was just pretty weird to watch because she looks so much like her sisters, Mary-Kate and Ashley. If anything, she looks more like an adult Michelle from Full House. Like if Michelle from Full House became an adult, I think Elizabeth Olsen looks a lot more like her than Mary-Kate or Ashley would. They smoke too many cigarettes and way too skinny and unhealthy looking to pull it off. So that was kind of crazy being able to watch the 80s. Um... You know, so it was kind of fun, and I'm glad that they didn't make the whole episode an 80s sitcom. I was kind of worried, like, oh, no, are they just going to kill an episode and make us watch just stuff happen in the 80s and watching the babies grow up? So we actually were getting flashbacks to the S.W.O.R.D. people who are monitoring the situation, and so we're getting, we're getting both. So the show is, is able to keep up with, you know, kind of the pace that it's kind of been... You know, it's, it's up the pace since the first two episodes, and I feel like they kept it up and are keeping us interested. There's a lot of stuff going on, and kind of one of the big thing that happened this episode was they decided to send a drone in and try to, like, communicate with Wanda, and fucking Wanda was not having it. Like, right away, she was just like, bitch, no, and she just, like basically grabs a drone and just like an angry mom who's just like either ready to beat you with a chancla or just like ready to just throw your toy away she just like comes out of the little force field the Westview area and just walks up to everybody and she's just like this is your last warning like don't fuck with me like i'm at my home like that's just what it is and you know all the fbi people like for their credit like they're not bad guys they're basically saying like dude like you are keeping a town hostage, and, you know, these people have families, and, you know, even Vision had even come out, and, you know, because he, like, I don't, I, I don't know if Vision right now is, you know, he's just a manifestation that she's built up, but he's definitely more aware of what's going on, and he was able to get, like, one of the, you know, the people that he works with in his little you know, in his little, this little television work that he has. And the guy was, you know, he's, he's freaking out and telling Vision, like, no, Wanda's like, he's, he's in our head. She's in our head and it hurts and all this stuff. So, you know, Vision is totally aware of what's going on. And, and Wanda is just like, she's already told the FBI people that they just got to back the fuck off. So, you know, at this point it's almost like, okay, Ish Like, is she a good person, like, or an Avenger? Because, like, the FBI guy was mentioning, it's, like, the first time we see this person, like, she's a part of HYDRA and, like, doing bad shit, and it's, like, then she becomes an Avenger, but you know, like, if we're starting to stack, like, the good and bad things, like, I think taking this town hostage is starting to make it, like, okay, well, I mean, Wanda, you're kind of being a little bit more ambiguous on this villain or hero side, like, regardless of being heartbroken. There's been plenty of villains in comic book lore that were heartbroken, and that's why they were a villain. Like, for example, Mr. Freeze and Dr. Freeze and in Batman. So, you know... So when Wanda, after she tells the sword people that just to back the fuck off and they're just kind of sitting there with their thumb in their ass, like not knowing what to do, she comes back, you know, Vision is confronting her about like, hey, you've got all these people under a spell and they're not, like, they're aware of it and they're in pain and they've got family and loved ones, like, so this can't be happening. Like, and Vision's even saying, like, I don't remember where I was or what my life was before this place." So he's just, you know, he's obviously, like, not happy and the, the episode ends with the doorbell ringing and her telling Vision, like, I promise you I had nothing to do with that. And Vision's just like, yeah, the fuck you didn't. Like, you know, I know you're controlling everything. So at this point, I'm, I don't know what the fuck to believe at this point. So Wanda opens the door and lo and behold, it's her brother. But what was the kind of the big twist is not just her brother Pietro from the MCU, the guy from Kick-Ass and Godzilla. It was the one from the Fox movies, like Days of Future Past. It was uh, Evan Peters, the guy from American Horror Story. And it was crazy. They even, like, like uh, Darcy the, and the people, the sword people that are watching this going on, are like, oh my god, like, she recast Pietro. Like, they basically almost kind of break the third wall there. But from my last episode, if you don't remember or didn't listen to it, I was saying that at some point I think that Professor X is going to show up as the X-Men and that's going to be a way to introduce him to the MCU and I feel like with this reveal of her brother or Quicksilver someone from the other X-Men movies like I feel like that's kind of it's good it's making me even more confident that the X-Men are coming and that more and then even more so the Professor X is going to show up so I'm pretty excited you know, I'm just going to keep doubling down on this as the show goes on. And until my theory is either proven wrong or for sure shot down, I'm going to just keep hammering down that the X-Men are going to show up. Professor X is going to show up. I think it's just a matter of who's going to play Professor X. Are we going to get, like, the, the you know, the James McElvoy or the, the guy that played the young Professor X? Are we going to get, um, are we going to get the original... Um, Professor X. So I'm pretty excited. I think Wandavision's been pretty great. So if you have any comments, if you think the idea is pretty crazy, if you think it's stupid, or if I'm pretty sure everyone, it's too dope as fuck to not think it's dope as fuck, leave your comments. But until next time, I hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl. If you're listening to this before the Super Bowl, unless. If you're listening to this after the Super Bowl, fuck yeah, Bucks won. I'm pretty sure they did. Hell yeah. It was a pretty dope game. Tom Brady's the GOAT. But until next time, the next show will be covering the Super Bowl. And I'm probably going to bring my buddy Steven back. So until next time, I hope you guys have a good one. Peace. It's been a Cali Green Monster Show. I'm Dean Ryan. Later.